Not sure what to make for dinner? Need some inspiration? Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, join Gabriel and his food hero guests on The Dinner Special. And now, here's your host, Gabriel So. Welcome to The Dinner Special. I am Gabriel So, and I am so excited to have Sky McAlpine of From My Dining Table on the show today. Sky is a writer, a cook, mom, and scholar of Latin literature, and she's from Venice, Italy. On From My Dining Table, Sky shares stories that come about over her home-cooked meals, what she last made for her family and friends, and why it was good or not. Thank you so much for joining me today, Sky. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's very, very fun to be here. <laughs> Great. Now, Sky, you're from Venice, Italy, went to Oxford in England to study Latin poetry and somehow ended up finding your passion for cooking and writing your blog from my dining table. Can you tell me about how this journey unfolded? Yes. Well, now that you say it out loud, it all sounds quite random. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm English, but my parents moved to Venice when I was five years old. And they were just going to kind of live there for a few months. And we just stayed. So I grew up there. And I kind of grew up kind of part English, part Italian, part kind of everything. Very much enjoying the local food. And then when I finished school, I thought that it would be fun to kind of leave home. I think everyone kind of wants to leave home very dramatically when they're that age. So I sort of had this dream that it would be fun to kind of study at Oxford. So I went to Oxford and I studied classics. So I studied ancient literature. So it was ancient Greek literature and Latin literature, but kind of my real interest was Latin love poetry. And that's where I met my husband. And I think it was sort of, funnily enough, being away from home that I realized kind of how much about the day-to-day -day life in Venice and the food that I really missed. So I started cooking for myself and for my friends. And sort of one thing led to another and I kind of became more and more interested in cooking and loved entertaining and having people around and kind of long meals. And then when we left university, I kind of kept on cooking. And then I thought, well, why don't I write about it? Because that's my kind of great passion is writing and cooking. And I kind of brought the two together in my blog. Perfect. Well, you're a writer, as you mentioned. You say that it's second nature to you. Now, has this changed since you started cooking and really writing about food? Are you still a writer first and a cook second? I think I probably would say I'm a writer first and a cook second, just because I have no training in no formal training in cooking. I'm completely self-taught and taught almost entirely through kind of cookbooks and reading them obsessively and trying things out and talking to people. So I never really feel confident kind of putting myself out there as a chef. I'm very much a home cook. And I guess I've been writing probably longer than I've been cooking because I've been writing kind of always had an interest in reading and writing since I was tiny and years and years kind of my undergraduate degree and then I went on to do a master's and a PhD in Latin literature so I think I have more confidence in writing so I probably say that but it's a very close call. <laughs> right now it seems though because you've basically learned cooking from cookbooks and chatting with people that cooking comes quite naturally to you would you say that's true or? Yeah, I would, but I kind of think it comes naturally to everyone. I feel quite strongly that food and cooking is very second nature for you. I mean, we have to feed ourselves. So we are built to kind of cook and eat well. And I don't know if maybe that's something that comes part and parcel of growing up in Italy, where everyone cooks. I mean, this thing that we have in the Anglo-Saxon world where cooking is like 
this kind of skill in Italy, everyone's kind of like, well, of course you can cook. Why would you not be able to cook? So maybe that's why I have a kind of can-do attitude about it. Right. No, definitely. I think where your sort of upbringing is and sort of the food culture in that environment sort of, you know, has a huge influence on your perspective on whether you can or can't certain things. Yes, exactly. I think that's true. I've definitely found that to be the case. So would you say you've always had a talent of knowing what flavors and what ingredients go well together? I'm not sure if I've got a talent for it, but I know that I know what I like. So I think if it, I'm willing to try stuff. So I'll try it and if it tastes good, then I'll like it and I'll make it again and again and again. I'm sort of adventurous in that I like exploring new things, but also very kind of classic as well. I think in Italy, it's not so much about nouveau cuisine or kind of crazy flavors. It's more about good, solid, classic flavors that work well. And then I love cooking with herbs and things. So I'll add a lot of herbs to, you know, sweet dishes or savory dishes. And it's not particularly revolutionary, but I find it makes things taste Great. Now, you grew up in Venice and returned after spending some time in England. Can you describe what the food culture is like in Venice? The food culture is, I mean, that's almost, that is the culture. I mean, food is such an important part of life there. And I think that was something that certainly I took for granted when I lived there before I moved away. And it was living in England that I kind of appreciated, oh gosh, it's really special that you get to buy your kind of tomatoes at the market and that children grow up eating artichokes and all these kind of basic things that I'd really taken for granted, but that actually don't happen so much in the UK. So the food there, it's always very fresh. There isn't too much. I mean, there are one or two supermarkets, but they're very small and they've only opened in the past few years. I mean, traditionally, people really do shop kind of at the market every day or every other day. So they'll kind of buy small portions. And it is just very seasonal the way people eat. Not too much because that's trendy and fashionable, but kind of more because that's how they do it, I guess. That's how it's always been done. Right. Now, have you noticed? Any difference between Italian and Venice sort of food culture and English food culture? Is there a difference? Yes. There's sort of a passion that everyone, certainly in Venice, but I'd say across Italy in their own way, everyone kind of has about food. People will chat about it for hours. People really, really (laughs) care about what they're eating. And it's not, it is a big deal in that people really care about it, but it's not something special. Whereas I find in the UK, people will kind of be happy, more happy eating frozen goods or mass produced things or McDonald's or what have you. And it's only kind of now that there are more trends and a move towards organic and towards kind of market produce and seasonal ingredients and so forth. Whereas it seems to come more second nature in Italy. That's my experience anyway. (laughs) Right. Now, What are some Venetian foods that locals cherish, but someone who is a visitor would never know about? There are some which I think like one of my favorite dishes is this dish that's very, very Venetian and very typical called sarte in saur. And it's tiny sardines, which are sort of pan fried in in a bit of flour and just sort of lightly fried. And then you kind of cook them in a sauce, which is kind of vinegar and onion and pine nuts and raisins and bay leaves. And then there are some other herbs in there. And you can do, I mean, traditionally it's little sardines, but you can do it with prawns or pretty much any seafood. And I kind of think that's one of those things that sounds really not terribly nice. But actually when you eat it, it's delicious. It's so good. So I can imagine coming to Venice as a stranger and seeing it and saying, oh, no, I won't have any of that. But it would be a real mistake. You should definitely try it. 
No, I would totally try that because it does sound good. I mean, first of all, I love sardines, but also I'm interested in combinations that don't sound good. I have a rule if I go to a restaurant and there's something on the menu that I think, oh my gosh, that sounds absolutely disgusting. I have to order it because I think they wouldn't put it on the menu sounding like that unless it tasted really, really, really good. Exactly, right? Now, if I were to visit and I'm a food lover, are there certain neighborhoods that I would have to go to? Probably not. Venice is a really tiny town. So you can kind of walk from one end to the other if you know where you're going in like 45 minutes. And so it's not so much like kind of London or New York where there are cooler neighborhoods or so forth. It's all pretty kind of the same. But I would say that I would avoid the kind of Rialto, St. Mark's Square kind of more touristy area just because I mean, there are some good restaurants there, but it's also kind of geared towards tourists. It's more expensive. It's not quite so good. And like, I would definitely explore the kind of ghetto area up towards the station. That's very quiet and very residential. And there's some great restaurants there, which are kind of undiscovered. So I'd kind of explore the outskirts of the city, maybe go to the Judaca or kind of those parts of the city where there are fewer tourists. And that's where you can kind of get really, really good food and a more local experience. Right. Now, is there a place where is a must-eat place for you in Venice right now? Well, my favorite is this kind of really crazy restaurant called Quaranta Ladroni, which means the 40 Thieves. And it's incredibly kind of rustic looking and it's almost like really hideous strip lighting and kind of these bizarre murals on the walls. But the food is absolutely sensational and it's all seafood and you just kind of don't order. You just sit down and they just bring you course after course of whatever the chef felt like cooking that day. And it's kind of big sharing plates if you go with a large group of people. And that's my current favorite. It's a real classic. Wow, that sounds wonderful. I think anytime you sort of leave your culinary hands to the chef, you can usually not go wrong. That's my rule of thumb. I definitely love it when the chef just chooses what you're going to eat. It's a very relaxing way of eating. <laughs> yeah, if there's no stress in making a decision, and if there are tons of things that you want to order, you don't have to like choose. You just basically get whatever. Yeah, I always get kind of envious when I'm on a menu and I'm looking and there are two different things and I can't decide and I choose one and then someone else gets the other. And I'm like, oh no, I should have got that. And all of that is kind of totally taken out of the equations. Right. Now, Sky, you love cooking for people. Where did your love of this come from? I think my parents always entertained a lot. My father in particular, you know, lunches and dinners at home would quite regularly be for kind of 10, 12, 15, 20 people, often kind of random people, you know, friends would be in town and they'd say, oh, we met some people, can we bring them or friends of friends or family or just totally random people. And I've always really kind of loved that. I think maybe because I grew up that way or maybe just because that's my character. But I love thinking of meals as more than just kind of a way of eating and feeding yourself. I think it's sort of special to make it something special, even if it is if you're just having pizza or you're just having a plate of pasta. I think if you have a large group of people, good company and a decent bottle of wine, it really does make for a very kind of special event. And I think that life is kind of made out of those sort of special moments. Those are the ones that you end up remembering. So yeah, I love cooking for people. Right. Now, what is it about these home-cooked meals that really fuels and nourishes you? I was chatting with Micah of Eat in My Kitchen the other day, and she was saying that, again, something what you were saying too, like the event is more than just the food and eating the food and when the food lands on the table. It's really about gathering around the kitchen and maybe cooking something together and then pouring a bottle of wine and then <laughs> sort of the whole event of it. 
to me it feels like a more intimate or more comfortable setting than going out to a restaurant or a bar you kind of have these conversations that you might not have had otherwise I mean I kind of think obviously I really care about the food but I think for an enjoyable meal it's about so much more than that and to be honest if you burn dinner I think if you have the right group of people and an okay bottle of wine and you're relaxed about it and it's a nice table I don't think anyone really cares it's just much more about kind of connecting with people and food is just really an excuse for that I guess right that's so great because I think in Canada where I am it's about the food if the food is not good then you know (laughs) that's the worst rule ever I mean the food is fun but the food's just an excuse if you're having a good time and you've got good people actually if you're having a good time even if you don't have great people if there's the odd kind of person that you're like oh I'm not sure I'm not so keen on them but overall it's fun it just still makes for a really good lunch or dinner or whatever Perfect. Now, here at the Dinner Special, we talk with food heroes about dinner dishes that are special to them and how we can make it at home. Can you talk about a dinner dish that is special to you? Why is it special? And maybe a little bit about the story behind the dish. Well, that's such a tricky one because I have so many dishes that seem to be very special to me. But I guess if I had to choose one, one that I quite like to talk about is I do a salt-baked sea bass which is kind of just my favorite way of cooking fish partly because it's so incredibly easy you literally just kind of stuff the fish full of herbs and then you put it on a baking tray and kind of cover it in a sort of paste that you make out of salt and water and then you bake it for 20 minutes and it kind of comes out part steamed I think because of the moisture in the salt baked crust and so it's kind of very, very delicate and you sort of scrape the salt off so it doesn't taste salty but it just kind of gives the fish a little bit of flavor so that's probably my favorite so I love it it's very simple but it just looks really beautiful kind of it's just a big showy dish which I'm always a total sucker for and I guess we always eat it there's this festival in Venice on it's always the third Saturday in July and it's called the Redentore which is the feast of the holy redeemer and it's a really lovely story because Venice back in kind of I think it must have been sort of renaissance there was a terrible plague and the city was kind of desperate because everyone was dying and so they kind of made this promise that if the plague went away they would build a church and sort of celebrate the redeemer for freeing the city of the plague and of course the city got better so they built this church and every once a year there's this huge party where kind of everyone goes out in little boats to watch fireworks in the middle of the lagoon and kind of eats fish and we have the Saturday in Saur that I was talking about and watermelon and it's just like kind of a big party night and we always eat the salt baked sea bass on that night so it's very special. Great. Now, if you can invite any three famous people over for your salt-baked sea bass, who would they be? I don't know, maybe like Barack Obama. I'd love to meet him. That would be very cool. Oh, Margaret Atwood. I don't know if you know, she's a Canadian author whose books I adore. I'd love to meet her as well. And maybe someone fun to like lighten the mood, like a kind of movie star or something. That's okay. Two is good. Barack Obama and Margaret Atwood and yourself. That would still make for a very, very interesting... You should come too. I think that would be fun. Then there would be free. <laughs> I would definitely be there for that dinner. Now, let's say that together we're having this dinner and it was actually a dinner and a movie. What movie would you pair with this sea bass dish? Oh, well, maybe I would have the movie star and we should definitely watch a kind of movie <laughs> with the movie star in it. But I don't know, maybe something kind of like a Roman holiday or something kind of really classic like that. I love high society. So maybe something kind of classic like that. I love old movies. 
Perfect. Now, Sky, you're clearly inspired by food and love to cook. For people where cooking is more of a chore, how can we make it more fun? Well, I think in my mind, what makes cooking a chore is the mess. So like, I love cooking. There are times when I don't feel like cooking. And I think, why is that? And it's pretty much always because like, I can't face like cleaning up the kitchen. So I would kind of say, maybe try and choose dishes where you use as few a kind of like saucepans as possible, kind of just to get you started, maybe kind of like dishes that don't require a whole load of equipment and faff and clean up as you go along because it's really easy to just kind of wash up as you go along but if you leave it all till the end that sort of sets a dread so I'd say that and then I'd say the other thing about cooking is it's all kind of confidence and practice like the more you do it the more you're going to enjoy doing it so maybe just go out and kind of buy a really inspiring cookbook full of easy dishes but don't require lots of washing up and just kind of jump in the deep end and also I genuinely believe that cooking for people rather than just kind of cooking for yourself or yourself plus one is so much more fun to kind of just jump in the deep end and maybe invite six people around for dinner and go about it that way perfect those are awesome tips now I call the next part of the dinner special podcast the pressure cooker I'm going to ask you seven fast and fun questions that we want to know your answers to Are you up for it? Yes, I am up for it. Okay. Number one, which food shows or cooking shows do you watch? Gosh, you know, this is the awful thing. I don't watch food shows. I read cookbooks, though. I will avidly read cookbooks. I mean, like classic English ones like Nigella Lawson or Jamie Oliver are kind of cliches. But I also love just finding really obscure cookbooks in secondhand bookstores and kind of being like, oh, I've not heard of this person. And there are no photos, but it looks like it's full of cool stories or cool recipes. Great. Number two, what are some food blogs or websites we have to know about? Wow, I love Local Milk, Beth Kirby's blog, although I'm sure everyone knows about that already. I love Two Red Balls, and there's another blog that I love called La Petite Américaine, which is this kind of girl who lives in, she was living in Paris, and I think she's moved to Switzerland. Cool. Number three, who do you follow on Pinterest, Instagram, or Twitter that make you happy? So I followed Ginny Branch on Pinterest. I recently taught a workshop with her and Beth Gabby of Local Milk in Venice just a couple of weeks ago. And she has the most amazing collection of kind of pin boards of kind of just inspiring stuff. And then one thing that I would say about Instagram is that I'm constantly overwhelmed by the kind of crazy amount of talent out there. But I follow Hello Emily. And I love like Condé Nast Traveler and kind of even though it's a magazine, they have a very cool kind of feed that's a fun blend of travel and food. Cool. Number four, what is something all home cooks should have in their pantry? Well, herbs. I know they don't go in your pantry, but I would definitely have some kind of pots of fresh herbs because I use them for cooking in everything, sweet, savory, what have you. And then I like to keep my pantry stocked up with kind of real basics like eggs, flour, sugar. Basically, I love baking. So I like to be able to bake a cake at any given moment, randomly in the middle of the night. So I need those kind of basic essentials. Right. Now, number five, name one ingredient you cannot live without. Cheese. Everything tastes better with cheese. Absolutely. Truffle oil. Everything tastes better with truffle oil, too. (laughs) Is there a particular cheese that is closest to your heart? Well, I love all the kind of pecorinos and the kind of sort of slightly peppery hard cheeses. 
then obviously mozzarella, I mean, or burrata, you know, kind of like the mozzarella, but with the really creamy center, that's amazing. I can't choose one type of cheese. That's just too much pressure. All right, we'll we'll just say cheese in general. Yeah, cheese in general is good. Great. Number six. Well, you already alluded to this a bit earlier. What are a few cookbooks that have made your life better? So I love the Flavor Thesaurus. It's this kind of really great book. There are no actual recipes and no images in it, but it takes most of pretty much every sort of flavor. So like you can search peach and it will list the flavors that peaches conventionally go well with. So it might say like thyme and almonds and walnuts and what have you. So I find it like a really helpful kind of inspirational tool for creating recipes. I have this great little cookbook called Atola Coivecci, which is written entirely in Venetian dialect. And it's kind of all the kind of really classic, old family, traditional Venetian recipes. I love that. I have so many cookbooks. It's terrible. <laughs> it's a condition. I have too many of them. Well, I mean, that's probably why you're such a great cook, because I mean, as you mentioned earlier, you learn a lot from your cookbooks. I do. That's what I tell myself anyway, as I buy another one. <laughs> now, number seven, the final question, what song or album just makes you want to cook? I guess I love kind of old sort of like 70s or 60s music kind of gets me in the mood for kind of cooking something, you know, like the Beatles or something really kind of classic like that. Yeah. Perfect. Well, congratulations, Sky. You have officially survived the pressure cooker. Sky. Thank you so much for joining me here on the Dinner Special Podcast. You're all over social media. What's the best way for us to keep posted on what you're up to? Instagram. I'm really active on Instagram. And obviously on my blog, I'll kind of put updates. And then I've got a Facebook page and I'm on Pinterest. I'm not really on Twitter. Or send me an email. I like receiving emails. (laughs) Awesome. Well, definitely check out Sky's website from mydiningtable.com. Now, before I let you go... I have one final question. What's next? More cooking, more eating. I just did this workshop, like I was saying, it was kind of like a food photography focus, but also kind of eating and experience-based retreat in Venice with Beth Kirby and Ginny Branch. And I really, really enjoyed that. So I'd actually quite like to organize a couple more perhaps in the coming year, just because it was really fun showing people my city and sharing food with them. So yeah, I'd like to do that. And yeah, more recipes, more food, (laughs) more of the same. Great. Well, thank you so much, Sky. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great chatting with you and really great questions. Thank you so much for listening. Head over to thedinnerspecial.com for recipes, highlights from every show, super blog articles, and all the wonderful ways to keep in touch on social media. Your culinary journey awaits, so let's get cooking.